Welcome, Nexus Church family, to the first week in our series titled Love Where You Live. Now, in this series, we are looking at what does it mean to love where you live? Now, the reality is, is we all live somewhere, whether in a town, city, in a field, in the sticks, or somewhere in between. We all have neighbors. We all have neighborhoods. We all have a community. How it looks may vary, but the reality is, is we all live somewhere, and we are called to make an impact where we live. However big or small that might be, we want to see our communities thrive. Every single one of us has a desire to see our communities thrive because if our communities thrive, our families thrive, our nation thrives, the world thrives when the places where we live are healthy. So the question we need to ask ourselves as followers of Christ is what does God say about this? Does God care about his creation? about people, about communities. Does he care? The reality is, yes. Yes, he does. As it turns out, he cares, right? And so today, we're just going to be laying a very basic groundwork in this idea of the creation mandate. We're going to first look at Genesis chapter 2 and examine what God created and what he expects out of us. Then we're going to jump to the New Testament and see if this, if this mandate actually transcends Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and how this transcends into the New Testament or into our world, right? And then from there, over the next few weeks, we're going to be examining how we can do that. And today we're just going to lay out the base for that and some general ideas of how you can begin in loving where you live and making a difference and helping your community to thrive. And so let's jump in to see this original creation that God made. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, we read, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning the creation. At that time, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrubs of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the day on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And so we have just the start of the creation when God breathed and God spoke life into existence from nothing, right? But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. So now we got the basis of all that God created. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the sources of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from the land is pure, but onyx are also there. 
And the name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And here's where I wanted to get to today. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat it, you will certainly die. And of course, that establishes the fall of humankind and when sin entered the world. And we'll get to that then in a second. But let's begin here. God created everything. Now, by their very nature, we all can agree on these basic principles, a garden cannot keep itself. It does not have a way of managing itself, of pruning itself, of growing itself again. Now, sometimes we get perennials, and sometimes we have ways that certain plants can only grow, and it's kind of amazing how God forms some plants that they can kind of take care of themselves. However, by and large, a garden cannot maintain itself. It needs someone to care for it, whether it's an animal to come in and take care of weeds or, or maybe a, something from underneath in the ground that takes care of it. But it can't take care of itself by and large. God created it, but chose not to sustain it. In verse 15, we read, the Lord took the man and placed him in the garden to work and watch over it. It needs cultivation. If you have ever had a garden, you know <laughs> that over the course of a summer, if you don't take care of it, it gets run over with weeds and different insects and animals can come in and take care of it and you don't have a garden anymore, right? Or the weeds just destroy it. Whatever the case, it doesn't go very well if you don't take care of it. It needs someone to cultivate it. And so God placed mankind into the garden to take care of it. To, as he said, work and watch. Now in the Hebrew, these two words, work and watch, are very powerful. The first work, this implies that we are to serve. In the, in the original Hebrew, the word work is a, a, a attitude of serving of getting down and taking care of something, putting its needs above your own. And so we are called by nature to work or to serve our land, to serve it, to place its needs above our own. And then the second word is watch. We are called to not only serve our land, to watch or to take care of or to exercise great care of our land. We were to serve it and watch over it, to manage it, to make sure it's safe and doing well. This is called the creation mandate. We have been mandated by God to watch over the land. And as we got to the end, we saw this, this command by God to not eat from the tree of good and evil in life, because we will die. Not, this doesn't mean necessarily that we will immediately die, but that relationship between us and God it gets death. 
It, it gets wrecked. It gets ruined. It gets con- confused or conflicted. And so this mandate that God gave, it didn't get easier when we messed it up in the garden, right? Listen to what we jump ahead in chapter 3, verse 17. And listen to what is just so beautiful in the beginning, right? To work, to watch over, to serve the land wasn't a heavy burden by God. But when the fall came, it became a heavy burden. So what once was so good for us to have a job to do, to take care of what God breathed life into, of what, what God created out of nothing, this was supposed to be a good thing. Like, just imagine with me, God created this. He made this beautiful world. If you've ever been to, like, the mountains, we just got back from Glacier a few weeks ago. And, and when you see the beauty of what God created, and then you get the mandate or the, the calling, if you will, the gift to maintain what God created. What a gift. Like, God, you are entrusting this land to me. Awesome. Like, I get to enjoy, whether it's the mountains or the fields, and getting to see the beautiful sunset over the wheat as it's getting to harvest time. Like, these are beautiful, amazing things that God gave us. But then the fall came. And now what was so great and beautiful and such an honor becomes a burden because sin has messed it up. Verse 17 in chapter 3 says, And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it for, the, for you are dust and you will return to dust. Unfortunately, what was meant to be so beautiful has become a curse. But here's the thing, right? Jesus came. We may live in in a world full of sin yet, in a fallen world as far from God. But yet, because of Jesus, we are to work the land. We are not necessarily forced to do, but we are called to do. The same mandate that God gave us in the garden before all that evil came, he still gives us today. When Jesus came to redeem us, not only did he come to redeem us, he called us to be redeemers of what he created, specifically in people. God still cares about the land, yes, but he cares even more so over those who are made in his image. And so I want to turn to the book of Peter, in 1 Peter, and we're just going to read two very short verses, and we're going to unpack that, and we're going to, again, not that we're going to take all of it in today. We're just laying the groundwork, so this is a very basic, brief, introductory message. But We're going to see that this, this mandate that God gave in the Old Testament is still for us today. It just looks different. It, it just has a different feel for it, because in the Old Testament, what was meant to be so good became a burden for the people, and they slaved over it, and they had to, to fight through droughts, and, and we still do that today. But it's a different spin on it. It's a positive spin. It's called to redeem. 
what was messed up in the Old Testament. We are called to redeem it. So let's look at how Peter addressed this. And again, it's coming from a very different angle, but yet it is still a good call. And it still goes back to that redemption and that call to care for the land, to steward it well, to serve it, and to watch over it. All right, First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, so first of all, Peter is writing to people who are in exile. Right? Now, this wasn't like the Old Testament exile. I'll, I'll point you to what I mean by that in just a minute here. This wasn't a forced exile. This was a chosen exile. Right? This is something that these people chose to go into the land. Right? When we go back to Jesus' proclamation that he was going to the Father and he was going to send the Holy Spirit to fill his people he called them to go into all the nations, right? To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? He, he called them to make disciples in all nations. And so when they came to faith in Jesus, they took that call to go outside of the, of the four walls of that city, Jerusalem, and proclaim the message of Jesus. And so these people were elect exiles. They were elect exiles. And so Peter is writing to these people kind of it, it, just a letter, right? It's important to understand these. And I know some people already understand this, but I, I want to, again, this is, this is groundwork here. So for the rest of us, this was a letter from Peter to his listeners or his readers, most of the people were listening because it was a letter that was proclaimed in the city square to the people. These were exiles. And in these foreign countries or cities that they were going to to proclaim the good news of Jesus, they were being persecuted. This didn't come at no cost. This was a highly risky thing that they were doing to proclaim the gospel. It went contrary to anything that was understood or welcomed or, or taught in these cities. And so when these exiles read this letter, it was a, here is a brother, an apostle, one of the originals writing to you to encourage you, right? It's in a letter. An apostle of Jesus Christ, he called himself. A sent one. They were all sent. Right? These were elect exiles. Now, this is a, a elect exiles is something that is also kind of, I don't know how else to put it, but it, it's almost a contradiction in a sense, right? There's a tension here. Because elect is good, right? <laughs> like, I want to be elected, right? Like, I want to be chosen from God. 
These people were chosen. They were sent out. They were elect. But then exiles is, is not so good. And so if Peter underscores this elect exiles by telling them that they were to go into these towns according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the knowledge of God the Father. That's right away in verse 2. It's important to understand that God not only saw them in their situation, He wanted them there. Right? So they could be a representative of Him to a city far from Him. He wanted to reconcile. Right? Peter would later say in, in his second letter to his followers that God doesn't want any to fall short and not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He wants all to be saved. It's God's heart. And so he sent these people out as elect exiles. He wanted them to be in those cities. He wanted them to be the redeemers. He wanted them to be not only serving in those cities, he wanted them to watch over and bring them back to a relationship with him or bring them to a relationship to him for the first time. That's what God was calling them to. And then he says to be obedient, obedient to the, the calling, to be obedient. He lays out this beautiful living hope right after that of, of, of the promise of Jesus. And so they were to live out this faith where God placed them. This is the, exactly the same call, and we'll go to this next week, but in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah lays this out so beautifully. Jeremiah was a prophet, a person who was called to, to represent God to the people who had been sent into captivity, right? Much like what Peter's listeners were in, in 1 Peter. They were called by God to go to these places to represent him, to love him, to care for him. And in Jeremiah's time, these people called the Israelites, the Jewish heritage, there was only one tribe left when Jeremiah was writing to these people. The other ones had already been dispersed into captivity in another land. But the remaining tribe, last one of the 12. Now, there was a few other ones that were sprinkled in there, but by and large, there was only one left. And so they were going into captivity. And they were all just sad, distraught, like we allowed ourselves to get to this point. God sent prophets over, over time, many, many opportunities to come back, and they chose not to. And so Jeremiah writes to them, and I just want to briefly read this to you because we'll come back to this next week. But there's a theme going on here, right? From the moment man messed up in the garden to Jesus coming back, sending his disciples out after he goes to be with the Father, there's a theme going on throughout all of the Bible, from Old Testament to the New Testament, to redeem. And we see this right here in Jeremiah. 
chapter 29, verses 4 and 7. I'll just read this quickly. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. That's just the theme. We are called to love our cities, to love our communities, to love our little township, if that's where we find ourselves, to love where we live. We are exiles. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not your home. Your home is in heaven. God left you here for a purpose. When you got saved and redeemed, and now you were right with God, and when you die someday, you will be in his presence for all of eternity. He left you here for one purpose, as an exile, to redeem those you are with. To see them come to faith as well. You are an exile with a mandate to serve, and to watch over where God has placed you. You have a job to do. Now, this comes with a cost, right? I'm, I'm totally, like, I can, I can just see and, and, all, and, and hear all the thoughts that are going in, on inside you right now. I have so much on my plate, right? I have a job to do. I have to pay the bills. I have to take care of my house. I have kids that are running all over the place who need to be driven everywhere under the sun. I get that. I'm right there with you, right? We have bills to pay. We have kids to run around. We have a house to take care of. We have clothes to do. We have lawns to mow. We have shoveling to do. Wherever your world is, so much of your life is caught up just trying to keep things in order and trying to find time to just enjoy life a little bit. And so today, I understand you have a lot to take care of. I'm not calling you to like radically transform wherever you are, whether it's in a little township that you find yourself in or in a major city. I'm simply saying, what can you do right where you are? What difference can you make? Start small, right? That's step number one. Just, just, just start small. What are you capable of? Maybe it's just saying hi to people you see and having a smile on your face. Not being fake, not being a phone, phony, hypocritical person. Because you've got to be real. Like when you're going through tough times, be real. But to have a smile and say, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to serve and to love and to watch over my land. This is my land. This is my neighborhood. This is my community. This is my city. This is my classroom. This is my cubicle. This is the team that God has placed me in. These are my friends. This is my family. Start small, wherever that is. Start small and engage in things that are already happening. You don't have to create something new, right? Like, there are so many opportunities around you already, and you don't have to take on everything. Just join something 
that's making a difference right where you are and give what you can. Don't go underneath that burden that you, that you have to join something and do everything they tell you that is going on. Like that, that I get that. I go into organizations and I start being a part of something and I, pretty soon I find myself feeling guilty if I don't do this and I don't do that. No, just, just do what you can in something that's already happening. Be okay with the fact that you can't give everything. Like Johnny or Susie or whoever, right? Like just do what you can. And then last thought, be a part of something you are passionate for. Many times we stop doing things because we just don't have the passion for that. We felt guilty about it, or maybe somebody else was doing it, and we felt like, oh, if they're doing it, I should do it. And so you join them, or maybe it was your best friend, and you're like, I want to be with my friend. And so you go do it together. But just do something that you're passionate for. If it's working with kids, do it with kids. If it's working with animals, get a team and go work with animals. Like, find something you're passionate for just serve there. Start small, join something that's already happening, and do what you're passionate about. And as we come to a close, I just want to ask one simple question. Maybe this will help it all boil down for you. Ask yourself, what is the one thing I'm passionate about that I can do to transform this place I call home. What is the one thing that I can do I can transform this place I call home? So just imagine with me right now, if every single follower of Jesus took this mandate seriously and didn't overburden themselves with so much stuff to do that they just, they can't do anything well, right? Because that's what happens in so many Christian circles is we just do another thing. We do another thing. Pretty soon we're so busy doing everything and we don't do anything well. And we don't take time to have personal reflection with God and time for the people who are most important to us, our family, our church family. So remember the practices of Jesus. What did he do? He got alone. He practiced Sabbath. A day where he did nothing but spend time with God and those closest to him. Right? He did solitude. He did simplicity. He, he, he did things that are so contrary to our world today. So we don't need people doing more in Christian circles. So I wanted to emphasize that with this question, right? We don't need Christians doing more. We need Christians doing one thing and doing one thing well and giving their, their, their lives for what they're passionate for to redeem that place where God has placed them. Right, to, to, that, to fulfill that mandate of to serve and to care for and to watch over that place where God has placed them. That is your call. Be passionate about it. See what could happen if all the Christians in the world did just that. You may just be a little piece of the Christian pie, but when we all join our forces. It's powerful.
And that's exactly what God has called us to do in the New Testament. When we read Corinthians, and he talks about the parts of the body of Christ. We're all called, one small piece at a time, to do what we've been called to. So that's my prayer for you today, to find that one thing you're passionate for in the place where God has placed you, and just love, serve, and watch for him. Father, I pray for every person listening that they will do just that, that you will speak to them. You will remind them that you placed them in their neighborhood, with their friends at school, with their coworkers at work, in their neighborhood, with their friends, with their families, in their church, God. You've placed them there to love it well and to care for it, to watch over it, to redeem it. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would reignite that passion again for these people to serve and to love and to care for and watch over their places. In Jesus' name. We thank you so much, Nexus Church family, for watching us today. And I encourage you, come back next week. We're going to start building on this and really making it hit home for you. So hope to see you next week. Until then, have a great week.